This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, November 25th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The rap on cities is that they're dominated by the left and everywhere else is dominated by the right. And that division has potentially very high costs to people who live in cities and those who left long ago. Patrick Tuhi directs policy at the Better Cities Project. We spoke last month in Colorado Springs about cities and what makes them work. I think that certainly is the view. You know, we talk about two Americas. Uh, We talk about uh, flyover country, you know, the coastal elites. There's an awful lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, angry talk about the two groups, Uh, but it doesn't necessarily need to be so. You know, you think about all the business and the commerce and the the, the free uh, market thinking and investment that that goes on in cities. It it shouldn't be something that one side um, kind of uh, runs away from. And, yeah, and cities surrender. are massively productive. They are very productive. It's one of the greatest inventions of all time. <laughs> it absolutely is. And yet, and yet, conservatives have this view that they either don't want to live there or they're not welcome there. In 2008, I was working on a local um, streetcar campaign in Kansas City, and I talked to one of the local politicians, and I said, you know, what's wrong with Kansas City? And he said, well, anybody who cares about efficient government or wants to run a business or uh, or educate their children well has already left. They've moved out to the suburbs. And in Kansas City's case, the suburbs are across state line in Kansas. And I think he was right. And I think he's right about a lot of cities around the country. The conservatives have retired to the suburbs, um, and they've uh, they've left a people uh, people with maybe um, not as good ideas on how to run a city um, left to run cities. So uh, you know there is a there's a problem, and this is particularly problematic within criminal justice, uh, or so I am told, which is that uh, the wealthier, more conservative people move to the suburbs. They view the problems of the city as no longer theirs. Yes, and uh, there, there's an otherness that is created when there is not this daily interaction with people who are different from you. So I think that's exactly right. I think we've you know self uh, self segregated. People have moved out uh, out to the suburbs, as you say, and that means that everybody that they interact with on a day to day basis is just like them and maybe shares their view. And so you end up with uh, county governments or suburban communities that are much more conservative politically, and then the urban core, which is much more uh, left of center. Um, They do take an awful lot of wealth with them when they leave the cities. And I think it's two-part. I think uh, a lot of uh, conservatives or people in the suburbs need to realize if the city fails, they are not far enough away to protect themselves. And cities, urban uh, environments need to realize we really need to uh, become competitive and attract these people back in. Not so much trying to tax them at the exits. You know, Kansas City has an earnings tax, St. Louis does, which which seems to be, we know we're not going to be able to keep you, but we're going to get you on your way out. Yeah, that's a real Mayor Quimby move. <laughs> Detroit and gross blank seem to be like, to in my mind, at least like a prototype of that. That is, the, the cities have been, city of Detroit has, was hollowed out for a time. Uh, it's trying to recover. There are s- positive signs that it's, it's recovering uh, uh, maybe as well as could be expected. But uh, in terms of ideas to improve cities, uh, there's no reason for city governments to listen to people who moved away. 
or listen to the ideas that are cherished by the people who moved away. Well, that's an excellent point. And why would you listen to somebody who's not paying your taxes or voting in your elections? But I think cities need to become much more self-aware that they are competing. And they are. Com- we certainly know when Amazon shows some leg, they fall over themselves to compete with one another. But they've got to understand they're competing with the suburbs. And cities really have something to offer, not just versus one another. But they've really got something to offer versus, uh, you know, against the suburbs. They've got the, the hustle and bustle, the density, the excitement. Um, and so I understand that they don't want to listen. But if they stay on this glide path, it's not a growth glide path for, for the most part. They are uh, – uh, many cities are, are kind of sliding off the edge and they're losing population and they're losing wealth. Fifty years ago in, in Kansas City uh, – a vast majority amount of the population was in the city proper. But over the last 50 years, Overland Park, Kansas, the suburb, were now at parity. Why? Part of that was economic development policy, which allowed the suburbs to incentivize firms to move away. Part of that was white flight. Part of that was a crumbling school system and crumbling infrastructure. And part of that, of course, was the prevalence of cars and the highway system. So uh, I don't think cities can just say, well, you moved out, so we don't want to hear from you again. They, they really need to scramble. They need to understand who they are and what they have to offer. So in terms of policies that cities could be adopting to make themselves more vibrant, more sure. responsive, more responsible, uh, have better infrastructure, give me, the, give me the list. So a lot of it sometimes is just getting out of the way. I was in a talk yesterday with a, a group and uh, we were discussing affordable housing and the, the group was mostly left of center. And they said, you know, it's, uh, we don't have enough affordable housing stock in the city. We need to look at, uh, you know, how can we use tax incentives? How can we use subsidies? And I said, listen, you know, even your economic development professionals in Kansas City and in St. Louis will tell you we've made it through regulation and red tape too expensive to build an affordable home within the city limits. Uh, so what we do is we then offer subsidies to bring the price back down. What government should do is just get out of the way in the first place. You know, what are the zoning regulations? What are the barriers that keep people from in- infill, from increasing density, from building granny flats, ADUs in their, in their own backyard? Part of it is, uh, structuring the tax policy so that you bring people back in. But one of the best things I love about municipal politics is it's not ideological. You know, we get distracted about national politics, about the president and, and this or that. But when it comes down to a city level, I can sit around the table, people who are absolutely left of center, and we want the potholes fixed. We want the steel plates off the road. We want the lights fixed. And so ideology doesn't, doesn't uh, get in the way. And, and people left or right are much more willing to look at concrete solutions uh, for their city. So I, I, I don't know that it's a matter of you know, the solutions that, that they don't already have, but it's a matter of explaining to them, you are getting in the way of your own growth. Uh, and, and part of that is because we've developed development policies, zoning policies of the last 30 years that contributed to people leaving. There are so many cities that have adopted essentially an identical slogan. And the slogan is keep, insert city here, weird. I saw a bumper sticker on my way here today, and we're in Colorado Springs, and it said, keep Colorado Springs lame. And I wanted to get a picture of it because it was a turn on exactly that. That's one of the frustrations about municipal policy is it's it's sort of like we're all becoming shopping malls. So it's municipal me-tooism, 
the mayor has a developer come in and he says, you need a blank. And that blank could be a convention hotel or an aquarium. St. Louis is building a Ferris wheel uh, or a, you know, a new airport. And so cities all do the same thing. They build entertainment districts, they subsidize development, and they fall prey to these projects. And so cities are starting to look more and more alike and they're losing that competitive advantage. You know, uh, I live in Kansas City. Kansas City has some incredible competitive advantages. It's a uh, a cheap place to live. Housing stock is cheap, and it's because we haven't adopted a lot of land use regulations that other cities have. We're located in the central part of the country. The people there are very nice. And, and we've got more highway, I understand, per capita than anywhere else in the United States. It is a pleasure to commute in that city. We have advantages that people in Los Angeles and New York and Washington, D.C. would love to enjoy. But we don't talk about ourselves in terms of that. We say, let's be Portland, let's be Denver, let's be Chicago. And we're never going to beat Portland and Denver and Chicago at their own game. Well, what about a monorail? <laughs> That's right. You know, I think this may be more a Shelbyville idea. <laughs> okay, fair. So uh, give me some examples of where uh, individual uh, policies have been adopted uh, at the city level over significant objections that have produced real results that uh, ought to be uh, trumpeted from the rooftops. So zoning reform, for example, is a great one. Allowing people to increase density in their own property, maybe building a, a granny flat in the backyard, for example. I think Airbnb, you know, cities initially overreacted to Airbnb and tried to shut it all down. They're still overreacting. Uh, yes. Though. But again, the idea that you allow people to earn more income off their existing property. I think the the irony is that so many cities like to call themselves innovation hubs. But when innovation shows up, they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> the guild says we don't want this. Uh, so we're not going to get it. But um, I, I think the next big uh, reform, and we're seeing this in California, San Francisco, is to look at zoning and to allow people to um, uh, you know, increase density. And, uh, and that's a great way to, to meet the needs of people without having a top-down big plan, because that's not working in our city. Uh, a while back, I talked to your partner in crime, the Better Cities Initiative, Greg Brooks, about um, <clears throat> the natural incentives faced by politicians. Yes. And, uh, you know, they'd rather build a $400 million downtown arena with tax increment financing, et cetera, et cetera, than fix the water system or fix the sewage system or do these sort of basic core functions of, a, uh, of what a local government ought to be doing. And it, how do you sell those kinds of projects to either the public in the city or to uh, employers that would like to that would uh, that might uh, might like to be there. Well, that is a that is a frustrating function of democracy in general. Uh, people want new things. Politicians want to point to a new thing, uh, go to a ribbon cutting. I suggested one time that we ought to have a law that for every ribbon cutting a politician went to, they would have to go to a padlocking and show the business leaving town. Uh, but that is the nature of politics. We we vote for even bad ideas. I'm tempted sometimes to embrace Tom and Friedman's Thomas Friedman's China for a day idea, and let's you know we're going to fix these people's local economy whether they want to or not. But but that's not going to work. I, I think at the municipal level, people understand 
In Kansas City, for example, uh, they're beginning to understand tax increment financing. They understand that these developers are coming in, are not having to pay tax for 23 years. And at the end of 23 years, shocker, they want another deal or they're going to they're gonna move. Uh, and, and part of it, too, is cities play each other uh, against one another. Um, so, yes, the nature of, um, of democracy, the nature of, of politicians, the politicians' incentive to, to give us shiny new things and to not fix the sewers uh, is difficult. But what we're seeing, certainly in Kansas City, certainly in St. Louis, is the local infrastructure is getting so bad. Uh, water rates in Kansas City have, have tripled over the last 10 years um, that it's getting to a critical mass. And frankly, if people in these cities don't rally, and don't work on these projects, they're going to go away. This problem ultimately solves itself. We just want to make sure that the people who live there uh, understand that they have got to change behaviors. They've got to change incentives. We cannot um, you know, tax and spend our ways into prosperity. One of the, one of the bigger points that I, I find all the time, and I was talking to uh, some Kansas City Star reporters just the other day, and they said, you know, developers come into town and they say, this musician's going to have a, a concert here, but if you don't have a nice brand new hotel, he's going to take a pass and going to have the concert somewhere else. And I said, that's, that's absolutely untrue. If, if Kansas City has a strong enough market, right, we will get good concerts. We will get good restaurants. We will get hotels. And those concert and hotels and restaurants are a sign of a strong economy. But we've reversed our thinking. Mayors think if they build a hotel and build restaurants and, and build an entertainment, that therefore they will have a good economy. And it, it, it's exactly wrong. It's hard to point to uh, the amenities that a city has and say, this is all because we got rid of restrictive zoning. <laughs> this is because we uh, did, were not seduced by the false promise of tax increment financing. Uh, this is because we have a really good system of road repair in our town. It's really hard to point to that stuff and and then it, connect it to fun family activities or you know, fun going out nights uh, in a town. Right. I can imagine, or I can't imagine, a brochure saying, "Look at this asphalt." You know, <laughs> there's not a crack on the sidewalk anywhere. But the research, you know, demonstrates this. Enrico Moretti's book from a few years ago on. Um, um, a job creation zones. And, and he examined all these places, but he found that the cities that were successful, it wasn't the result of central planning. It wasn't the city council said, we want to be a tech hub and here's how we're going to do it. It was accidental. The cities didn't play a role. Now they can react to it and they can, they can support infrastructure or they can change their ordinances to allow for it, but they can't create it. And what happens now is uh, a St. Louis or a Kansas City sees that somebody else has been successful in tech and they think, well, we're going to do the things they did. But but that's never going to work. And and you're absolutely right. This isn't sexy. But if a city wants to be successful, it needs to cut the grass. It needs to pave the roads. It needs to fix the streetlights. And that's it. There are a vast number of, I think, for the most part, young people who have no particular attachment to a city. They have sources of income that are not tied to a geographic location. They don't have to go to the plant every day. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and those people are looking for reasonably low cost of living places to be, to have families, yeah. to put down roots. And uh, 
I I think there are a lot of them. Yeah. And and I and I I have to think that cities, at least ones who are uh, cognizant of that as an opportunity, would want to do their level best to build a build a place that is attractive to those people. So they took shortcuts and they developed their downtowns and tried to make them hip cores because Richard Florida, an urbanist out of Toronto, told them to. And uh, if it worked for a few years, what happened was these people got married and decided they wanted to have kids and were looking beyond their proximity to a Starbucks. They were looking at quality of education, price of land, you know, uh, they want to invest in a community. So so even if it bought, even if this kind of um, build it and they will come worked in the short term, it's not working in the long term because you're exactly right. Millennials, it turns out, want what their parents want and what their grandparents want, which is a nice neighborhood to live and good schools and good infrastructure. And what cities are doing now isn't supporting that. In fact, frankly, it's it's coming at a cost of a lot of those basics. What cities get that on a consistent basis? There aren't a lot of cities that get that on a consistent basis. I think we are all playing the game of build it and they will come. And the Amazon project and the Google project of 10 or 12 years ago demonstrate that. They fall over themselves. Uh, and they know. They know it's a bad idea. They know they're not going to win. When I discuss tax increment financing in uh, Missouri or around the Midwest, their defense of the practice isn't to say this is a good idea. They say, I know, but if we don't play, the guys across town or across state line will eat our lunch. So they all know it's a bad idea, but they all feel powerless to stop. And so I don't think any of them are doing it well because it's going to take somebody to say, um, you know, enough. I will say this, I was very happy that Stan Kroenke, who took his Rams from St. Louis to Los Angeles, is having to build his own stadium. It's a $5 billion entertainment complex. He's using $2 billion of his own money, and it will be excellent, I'm sure, because it's private investors, and they want to make sure that their center makes money all the days of the year that they don't have a game. Um, so kudos to Los Angeles uh, for that, and maybe there are a few other uh, you know, stadiums that are being privately financed. But for the most part, cities are still playing this game. And even if they realize it's a bad idea, they're afraid the other guys are going to get the Amazon. And and the corporate strategy, whether it be an NBA team or an NFL team or uh, Amazon or, or Google, they know that. And they'd be, frankly, they'd be fools not to. You know, a private business has a responsibility to its uh, share owners or to its, you know, owners to get the best deal. And so, if a, if a city is playing a fool and is going to, you know, give you a check and some free land and say you don't have to pay taxes for ten years, I get it. I just wish that cities would be less willing to do it. Patrick Tuhi directs policy at the Better Cities Project. We spoke last month in Colorado Springs. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.